now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. His wheels are starting to come off real fast. <laughs> Who's the most loyal people? Because I don't think he's surrounded by many anymore. They're, they're, they're dropping like flies. It's, 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 it's when, things. when the lawyers start going to jail, and you know <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> Boy, Ooh, poor lawyers, poor Trump. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> no, I don't feel bad Co- for anybody. Too, you know, he's just he's, he's misunderstood. He's misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, he just railroaded that poor son of a bitch. <gasps> oh, anyways, hi guys, it's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire. Uh, Nick McGuire. I can't even say my own name. Uh, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College. Uh, Phil Barker from Keene State College is not with us today, unfortunately. It's very sad. Poor guy had back surgery. Oh, yeah. That's what happens when you get old. Yep. He's, he's on the mend, though. He's on the mend. He's <laughs> off the opioids, I think. <laughs> get well, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> but we have Dr. Suzanne Chad with us. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get started... Uh, stuff we do every week. If you like the podcast, questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics, the podcast uh, find on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Beers that we try, you can find on Untapped that you can download on iOS and Android. Um, did I miss something else? Of the average one, that's good. Besides the other yeah. thing, yep. Yep. yeah, I was like there's a big thing. There's a saying. big thing which we always talk about. Uh, uh, we've partnered with uh, the great guys over at Predicted, which is a uh, real money uh, political prediction market, pretty much a stock market for politics, where you can buy and sell shares in uh, future political events. Um, a lot of fun. We use it for uh, information on things that we're going to talk about on a weekly basis. Um, we'll use it during the podcast, you know, when things change and kind of get the opinions of. Uh, um, you know, the the general public and, you know, where, where the money is pointing, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, what's really cool is that our listeners, uh, if you open up a new account, uh, you will receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, uh, predict it will match that $20. Um, $40 if you do the math. Free money. Free money. Yep. Uh, just use the promo link, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20. Uh, and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and like I said, we use it all the time. And um, yeah, thanks, Predict It. We love you. You're so nice. It's <laughs> good. Um, yeah, it's uh, people going to jail, people not going to jail. They probably should go to jail, but they're being really cooperative. And it's just not. And one of them sitting in the Oval Office. Yeah, and then there's individual <laughs> one. <laughs> well, let's dive in. It's another week in which the president's legal troubles took center stage. Today, we learned that the pres- uh, President Trump's formal pers- personal attorney, Michael Cohen, was sentenced to three years in prison. That com- comes after sentencing recommendations were filed on Friday by both the Southern District of New York and Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Uh, the big takeaway from those documents is that the government, 
Trump's own Justice Department appears to have implicated Trump in Cohen's crime. Cohen had previously implicated Trump in camp fi- campaign finance violations involving hush payments to two women, but the things but things become a lot more serious when the federal government independently asserts those same claims. Uh, let me read directly from the document because the document is great. Quote in particular, and as Cohen himself has now admitted, with respect to payments, he acted in coordination with and at the direction of individual one. That being President Trump. All right. There's a lot to break down here in these sentencing documents, but this one sentence might be the most fascinating and important. Uh, The sitting president is named in a federal prosecution. This raises all sorts of fascinating legal and political implications. Whether you can prosecute the uh, president, prison time, impeachment, does nothing at all happen? Luckily, we've got Dr. Suzanne Chad to help us think through all of this. Suzanne, what was your reaction uh, to to hearing of this and then thinking about the broader implications? So I immediately go to this debate back and forth over whether a sitting president can be indicted. And then I go even further back, which is I can't believe I'm actually thinking to Mm -hmm. myself and doing research on whether a sitting president can be indicted because, like, when have we ever thought about this before? And the fact that there's, you know, legal scholars that say yes and legal scholars that say no. Of course, Rudy Giuliani has said absolutely not and that the court, the Supreme Court at some point had said no, which is not actually technically accurate. So I think where where I'm at right now is you've got two different entities, one at the federal level, one at the state level, saying that the sitting president has is implicated or is, what did Comey say, an unindicted co-conspirator, mm-hmm. right? It's my favorite term. I yeah. love that, yeah. yeah. Um, and that even today a Fox News analyst said that we have evidence that our president committed a felony. So when Fox News is talking about this and saying it this way, and we've got these two independent agencies saying that this is happening, then, and Trump is being silent, which he should be at this point, mm-hmm. then I don't really know what the next step is for Trump immediately. So does he come out and start railing on Twitter? Does he say nothing? Does he retain different counsel? What does he do? The the, the smartest thing for the Democrats to do right now is to do absolutely zero yeah. and let this play out. We don't need to talk about impeachment. But just let it play out and see. Because from what we're reading, at least what I was reading today, is that Cohen has more and he's willing to give more. And this yes. could be the very tip of the iceberg. And if that's the case... Then some of the things I was reading today suggest that Trump could be indicted as a sitting president, but not tried or anything until after he's out, because then technically that is not impeding on the business of his ability to, you know, like run the world. Sure. Um, or they'll wait until he maybe loses in 2020 and the statute of limitations is five years and hasn't expired yet. So there's all these different scenarios. And again, I take like 15 steps back. I can't believe we're mm-hmm. talking about any of this. So that's that's where I'm at right now. Before we went on air, Nick and I were talking about the special counsel investigation in Russia. And I think the assumption was that was where Trump was going to get himself in trouble. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's in some ways, it's easy for Trump to attack Robert Mueller, the Russian, Russian investigation. He's mm-hmm. gotten very good at turning that into a political issue. Mm-hmm. It's much more diff- difficult to go after the Southern District of New York, which is his appointee, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so he <laughs> is appointed uh, that office. Mm-hmm. And it's his office that is investigating him this has to terrify them Mm -hmm. um in terms of what they can go after looking at cohen you know the two payments uh the one to stormy daniels the other to karen mcdougall the the legal gymnastics they're gonna have to go to to get get out of this Mm -hmm. is just it's it's really intimidating that guy i would be worried (laughs) i was donald trump (laughs) and everybody around him right so cohen's talking and you have to think 
that the Southern District of New York is not going to just rely on Cohen's testimony. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. They're going to verify that, in fact, these payments took place, that they were at the direction of the president. Mm-hmm. They've got additional information. This is this could get this could spiral really, really quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, like you said, I, I was always kind of under the assumption that the Russia investigation had a finite amount of evidence to give against Trump, at least direct involvement. I think this is where it gets really, really frightening for him. And the fact that he is being as quiet as he is right now is probably evidence of that. What happens going forward, I, I think this kind of trickle effect that's going on between the investigations is worrisome in the sense that he seems to be he's not good at bottling things up for for lack of a better term (laughs) that's a good way to say Um, individual one right individual (laughs) one is yeah really not good at that at all um yeah i i think this is i think they're looking for him to slip up somewhere they're giving him enough time to stew with it and knowing his personality something is going to happen and like you said i have no doubt that there's more evidence that they have in the in in either investigation Mm -hmm. at this point um I, I, I'm very interested to see what the response is. I, I agree with you, Suzanne, in the um, Democrats just need to leave this alone at this point. That's their best strategic move. Mm-hmm. Whether they do that or not, I personally don't think that they will and make it more complicated than they need to or than it needs to be. Um, yeah, this is the closest I've come to being very worried about what happens over the next month or so. The, well, uh, oh, sorry. I was gonna I, say, just before we go, the other bit of news that broke today was that America Media Inc., uh, the, the the sort of umbrella company for the National Enquirer, uh, the, the the Pecker David is it David Pecker? I can't forget his first name. No, Pecker. the last Pecker. name is enough right, to remember. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so they came to a non prosecutorial agreement with the Southern District of New York. So now you've got a situation where the company that made the payment to Karen McDougal, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then the CFO of the Trump Organization, uh, Weiselberg, I can't remember his name, both have basically immunity mm-hmm. to tell everything and provide everything right. they have. And and the message that Mueller and the Southern District of New York are sending is that if you cooperate and cooperate fully, mm-hmm. boy, we're gonna we're willing to give good deals. <laughs> if you're Cohen, right, and you only co- you know uh, cooperate a little bit, you're gonna get some jail time. If you're Paul Manafort and you <gasps> you lie on your cooperation, <laughs> you're going to jail for a long time, right? So they are they're they're circling the wagons around him right now. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you know we I remember talking about this with with you all before, and I'm and I know in other episodes you all have talked about it. Is you know Mueller is not stupid, and he's very methodical. He's been very rational and strategic in how these things have come out. And I think it's built to your first point about the way that um, Trump is able to discredit Mueller. Any information now about the Michael Cohen situation with the two women is not coming, it's not coming out of the Mueller investigation, even if they were working together to get some information back and forth. You know, this is this is something now that it's really a lot harder to say, oh, it's just a witch hunt, it's just a witch hunt. No, like you said, it's someone that was appointed by Trump. It's his own people in the, in the executive branch. Um, and how much they are sharing back and forth maybe between these three agencies if you also include the Mueller uh, Mueller's office what they might have sitting there um, just waiting mm-hmm. and what I was thinking Nick when you were talking was well all of this we're thinking of the nitty-gritty small things and that's super interesting of course um, my concern more broadly which sounds strange for me to talk about because I hate Trump so much which shocker <laughs> okay is what it means for here comes my favorite word the institutions of american democracy when we are we are thinking strategically about okay we maybe have evidence our sitting president committed a felony 
Like a pretty significant felony, right? And what other things that may surround it, we may find, we may find out. And the choices that are made and how to handle it all have significant consequences for moving forward with the office, checks and balances, and all of that. And I wish we were having those conversations, and I'm hoping we can talk about yeah. it a little bit now. Because for me, I think that's where, you know, you said you're worried about Trump, and I know you're being a little flip about it. Of course. Like, I'm not. I'm more worried about, you know, the institutions of American democracy. Are you thinking like democracy at a macro level? Are you thinking about Congress, the president, all, all, all of all it? All of it, yeah. right? I mean, because what I was thinking about today is, you know, I've said this in classes, and I think I had said it on the podcast here, and if not, I say it anytime anyone's listening to me ever talk about anything. It's about the attack on the press and how that's such an important, integral institution of American democracy, and that's under attack and being discredited. And now we have the person who occupies the most important office, arguably, in the world, and we're talking about whether or not mm-hmm. he's going to get in trouble for committing a felony. I think that's a problem. One of the things that struck me when I was going through the uh, the sentencing document, the one from the Southern District of New York on Friday, they talk about that. And, and they talk about it in terms of the, the campaign finance laws that were violated mm-hmm. by making payments to these two women. And I think so often in elections, we just sort of say, oh, it's, you know, it's ugly. People violate the rules all the time. And in that document, they really made the argument that mm-hmm. this was... This was da- a danger to our democracy. This was mm-hmm. undermining and taking away people's vote and information to make an informed vote. And they really made an impassioned case for elections and democracy yeah. in a way that you don't often hear with campaigns. I was sort of surprised mm-hmm. at how forceful they were in their critique, or at least the, suggesting that the danger of this type of payment. And I think that's incredibly smart because it would be easy to just, as as I was saying before and as we, we see in the media, is just focus on the man who did the thing, right? But it's it's smart for in these documents to make this broader case to take it away from the man so it's harder to say oh you're just going after this man that everybody hates it's like no this is a person who is not above the law who did something that was illegal who directed people to do things that were illegal and has continued to benefit from it because guess what he became the president and so it's important. It's more important than just this is more important than the singular person that this is happening nothing, to. Nothing's more important than Trump. I mean, that's, in his that's, mind, that's clearly true. that's true. That's the only reason we have people listen to us. So we right. need to keep we, talking about it. I him. remember us talking about this at one point. I remember it was on or off air. Like, what What if he wouldn't yeah. have won? Or what if he doesn't win again? What do we talk it's about? so yeah. boring. Right. Uh, we're going to have to come up. We're going to we're gonna have to come up with news stories and just come put salacious. Yes. We're going to have to be the media. Um, oh, that's a no, big wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't disagree with you in, in any way. Uh, I think that the fact that we're having this discussion on something that realistically is fairly uncharted waters and yes. talking about this particular position, at least to me, is evidence that the institutions themselves are still functioning. I and probably are, are fighting back in a way that I think a lot of people didn't necessarily expect them to or were a little bit more pessimistic about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, being um, I, I don't I, I think if we continue to go down this road where it's about rule of law and violations of, of legal codes and ethics and that will create a good foundation and bulwark against this going forward mm-hmm. um, it's messy and weird right now and hopefully they come to the right conclusions mm-hmm. depending on where the evidence points <laughs> um, but yeah I, I, I think this is this is something we're going to have to go through right now, and it, it's, we're probably going to be better for it. I hope so. Mm-hmm. If we do it the right, well, right, quote, this right, is, right way. What is this right, is the big question, right? So, No, what yeah, is that? Nick, you were hinting, I think you were hinting earlier in your comments about, you know, the Democrats may screw this up. And mm-hmm. the question is, do they screw it up through impeachment? And so, Yes. 
So, okay, Suzanne. All right, so, <laughs> Sorry, not to jump in. No, 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 because that, that's my question is, is if you are the Democrats right now and you're thinking about how to respond, I, short term, I agree they shouldn't jump to conversations about impeachment. Right. But is that at ever? So not, not in terms of a legal argument, but yeah. politically, yeah. is it savvy for the Democrats in the House yeah. to move towards a conversation about impeachment? Not before January, fill in the blank, whenever the people sure. are sworn in, yeah. right? And so I think, and there's a couple, there's been a couple of Democratic Congress people who either are incoming or will continue to serve who've mentioned, you know, where should drop articles and so on and so forth. And I, I think some of that is just rhetoric, and I, I take that with a grain of salt. But what I think is the smartest move, and I would say this both as, I will say this as a Democrat, I will say this as a political scientist, and I'll say it as a citizen, the best thing for the Democrats to do in January of 2019, well, I'm sorry, the best thing for them to do now is to wait and see what the federal prosecutors do and what the state of New York does, and the Ninth District of New York, mm-hmm. Southern District of New York. What are they gonna do? You wait. If they're gonna indict, or what? you wait. And here's what, if they don't, and there's this mountain of evidence, January, February, March, whatever, we move into 2019, there's a lot more legitimacy and credibility for someone in the house to come and say we've we've waited Mm -hmm. they're not doing the right thing evidence 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 the only thing we have left now to maintain the integrity of the office of the presidency is to file articles of impeachment that i think is the smart and then we got you know what the senate gonna do because it's republicans they're gonna remove it gets hairier as we move along in the process, but I think right now that's the best strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because you want you want all of these legal processes to play out, yes. right? You want the, uh, what's going on in the Southern District to play out. You want Mueller to bring, and ultimately both of them could bring reports to Congress. Yes. Uh, in some ways, the Mueller, it, it's more difficult for Mueller to get that report to Congress than it would be for the Southern District. They can just say, like, here's what we've got on him yeah. and drop it in their lap. So you could wait for that. The other advantage is that you could, if you're both the House and the Senate, you could allow the House to carry out some investigations, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. get some more information. And I think I think you've suggested this before. The Democrats have to be very careful mm-hmm. in how they do that to yep. not make this overly politicized. But yeah, there shouldn't be a rush to impeachment not at, at all. all. Not uh, at all. Even though I think they're legally and as a like you as a, as a citizen i think there could be a real powerful argument but there's value in waiting and letting all this play out so yes. the evidence were if it is there would be overwhelming because that should be the first step anyway right and, and you know impeachment was supposed to be when we had when there were high crimes misdemeanors and treason mm-hmm. when we knew even though it wasn't always used that way but it's supposed to be used that way and because we're in such a highly political partisan time the worst thing would be to jump and file these articles and actually get them passed and go to have him tried in the Senate before we have actually let the other legal processes play out and then see how Trump reacts to those legal processes. Because Mm -hmm. if you jump to impeachment, we know what he's going to say. We know what it's going to turn into. And it's probably not going to end up very well. Mm -hmm. You know, and we're moving into the 2020 cycle. So there's all all kinds of bad things as we move forward. I don't want to move into another cycle. Oh, it's already happened. It's It's already happened. Fundraising is happening. People are going to to Iowa. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) You traumatized. James Comey was interviewed recently, and he reiterated his argument that impeachment is not the right way to handle right. this, mm-hmm. uh, that that election should have consequences. Mm-hmm. I, I, In general, I agree with that. I think if you elect a bad president, if you elect a president who makes a lot of mistakes, all of those are not grounds for impeachment. 100%. I am drifting more towards the case for impeachment with the criminal activity. Yes. I mean, some of these reports, the sentencing reports for for Cohen, he is a just he's an awful criminal, Nick. Like is, <laughs> they said it was decades and decades, and even his cooperation. So he had he didn't have a cooperation agreement. 
because he didn't want to go back into some of his old criminal behavior. And the cooperation agreement says you open up everything. everything. Yeah. Any questions. We, and he doesn't want to do that. So he's willing to take three years in jail over being completely honest, right? I mean, so this, <laughs> and this is Trump's personal attorney for 10 years. Well, I mean, they're scummy New York businessmen. They, like, I, sorry, <laughs> New York. All of them are, but no, not, the ones that Trump surrounds himself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That are, the yes. group of people, yes. yes, yes. yes. Not our Again, listeners. We love our New York listeners. Yeah, I bet a bunch of you are scumbags, but it's okay. <laughs> God, we've already. What did we say? We lost the southern, the southern listeners at some point. Just ticking them off a list at this point. Yeah, sorry guys. Um, Yeah, it's. I I don't know. Realistically, I think it's. It would be such a a political firestorm, like you said, to move towards impeachment without. A, a mountain mm-hmm. of an irrefutable mountain of evidence yes. and that's what it has to be we talked about it last time yep. you better that thing better be airtight because oh, yeah. if there's any if you let any light into that I, I, it's you know you have people talking about it wasn't it trump talking about his supporters were going to revolt yes. or something oh, always. civil war yeah Nick. oh yeah. yeah people be fighting in the streets but realistically it even if the evidence is there, but you you do things out of um, out of process yeah. in the wrong order. It's it's going to be politicized because yeah. that's the world that we live in now. So don't just don't fuck this up. If yeah. you have the evidence, don't fuck it up, that's right. please. That's and I'll even support that if the evidence is there. Yeah, you can't refute that at this at that point. It, it just it doesn't. Great, that's a great point, Nick. Because you're <laughs> right; it has to it has to be overwhelming. And I get this. I have no idea, but I would assume that all of the prosecutors in both Mueller's office and the Southern District's office get how oh, yeah. how delicate this is. You're you're not going after some just general criminal. You're potentially going after the president of the United States. So it's got to be. You know, they talk about a preponderance of the evidence. I think it's got to be way well, it's, higher yeah. than oh, yeah. that. And it has to come from multiple places. Yes. I mean, like you were saying, it can't just be Cohen, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and so for all of this, it has to come from multiple places. Um, and, I don't know, credible, whatever yeah. credible means these days, because truth isn't truth, right? But, yeah. It, it was interesting mm-hmm. to watch Republicans react to this information about Cohen. And you can tell that they're becoming more uncomfortable with this. Mm-hmm. And behind the scenes, some of them are suggesting that Trump is in real serious problems here and you are trouble. You could see them shifting at the same time. A lot of them were still in off or office all the way back when Clinton got impeached. Yep. And so there was some double speak there. Mm-hmm. Orrin Hatch was talking about that. This is, you know, this is just a, you know, it's just a minor thing. Why are we worrying about something like this? You know, whereas when Bill Clinton was being impeached yep. and, and the, the similarities are really stunning because Bill Clinton lied under oath mm-hmm. to cover up infidelity right Uh, donald trump engaged (laughs) in campaign finance to cover up an extramarital affair right i mean so some of those parallels are really really interesting and this is always um, i tell my kids this right (laughs) when i talk about lying it's like the lie to cover up the thing you did is always worse than the thing you did and so whenever i talk about the bill clinton impeachment when we go over this in classes is what we always say is that and with nixon too it's that with any of these presidents who've engaged in these activities the cover-up is always worse than the thing that they do that they're trying to cover up mm-hmm. and that's when they get into trouble and so you unless know, you're bombing cambodia and laos that was well then fine. there's that yeah. i mean there is that <laughs> sure <laughs> let's bracket that out for a minute but it is it's the it's these people in power who have sort of floated through their whole lives that are now in these situations where particularly with the media the 24-hour news cycle with Clinton and now on you know online and social media with Trump things don't stay secret Mm -hmm. Um, and when you open yourself up to being the most powerful person in the world 
you can't skate anymore and so you engage in activities maybe you hadn't didn't think you ever would because you want to keep that control and that power but Mm -hmm. it's gonna catch up with you and we're seeing that with trump now is that and i mean i'm sure he paid hush money for decades and learned it from his father and saw it happen and was like oh just throw some money at these bimbos it's fine that's so fine. <laughs> Does anyone say that word anymore? I'm sure he did. <laughs> I was going to say, that's probably you know, an exact quote. I would quote. never use that that's word. Right. So. <laughs> Only in context. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, and it feels like this is, I mean, the Mueller investigation, by historical comparison, has been moving at a very fast pace. But now it feels like everything is coming much it more does. quickly. <laughs> if I'm Don Jr., oh, oh. It, it feels that's, like Don Jr., mm. Roger Stone, that's the next wave. Before the president, president. if if even the president, right? Because those are huge. And can we Mm -hmm. can we take a minute? Do we have time to talk about John Kelly quickly? Yeah. Just I I I mean, there was so much that happened this week. We can't cover all of it. You know, James Comey and all that kind of stuff. But I'm thinking about you know individual one, right? And so um, obviously we know that this is Trump. But what does Kelly know? And now he's leaving. And is he going to be subpoena? I mean, I. Yes. I'm just so curious about how all this is going to happen. No, absolutely. Kelly... We'll get on. We'll talk a bit about him later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, but I think in terms of this, right, he is, he's leaving office. He'll know a lot. Mm-hmm. He's been around for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And it's also relevant for whoever he brings in as chief of staff. Which is why because, they keep finding Right, because everybody knows, <laughs> they know where this is heading. Uh, oh, no, that is, uh, he is, he's a, he's going to be a fascinating study. I know, I yeah. can't, I, I mean, I've never really quite been able to get a read on him. Mm-hmm which I think served him well mm-hmm. in his position. But all I could think about, excuse me, in the past couple of days is what does he know and who, who is he going to tell it to and what is that going to yeah. be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we, talk, should we talk beer, Nick? Yes, please. All right. <laughs> are you okay? I'm okay. Are you sure? <laughs> Ooh, I need that second one. <laughs> so we, we are drinking a uh, Bell's Winter White Ale. Uh, you know, it's getting a little chilly outside, so I figured it was time. I don't like the Christmassy beers, Nick, so that's not going to happen. I'm not a big but, fan either. Uh, but this is a Belgian-inspired wheat ale. Uh, so what do, what do we think, Suzanne? Well, this is up my alley. Mm-hmm. For listeners who heard me on the podcast before, anything white and weedy and not super dark, which is the same thing as light, I suppose, uh, is something that I like. And so when Bill brought out, the first thing I said is he said it was from Bell's, which is having lived in Michigan for so long, Bell's is one of my favorite breweries. But Blue Moon has never been one of my favorites. I think it's a little too thick. Mm-hmm. So when you said this is like a Blue Moon, but what did you say? Not as sweet? And yeah, a little lighter, it's lighter. It's yeah, not quite as that's sweet. That's exactly mm-hmm. how I would describe it. The after- aftertaste isn't as bitter and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a nice weedy color. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I've never had it before. Nick, you like? <laughs> I, I, I actually you do like it. So. I did. I, well, I needed it real bad. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, I was. I was never a fan of like the the kind of heavier Belgian wheats. Blue Moon never really did it for me. Um, yeah, this is. It's just. It has that just enough creaminess to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make it nice and smooth, but it's, yeah, it's still crisp and not, yeah, it doesn't have that excess sugar in it, I guess, like we talked about. It's the same thing as saying it's not as sweet, just, yeah, just <laughs> the other way. Not as light and it's not about. as dark. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the wheats can be a bit, like, cloudy, and this this is, yeah. like you said, a little cleaner, almost a little lagery. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, uh, no, it's, it's a good one. Bells mm-hmm. does good work, so, yeah. Thanks, Bells. Yeah. 
if um, if you want to hear our fantastic reviews like that one, um, <laughs> not our finest hours. <laughs> uh, check us out on Untapped. Uh, you can download that on iOS and Android, um, or just Barstool Politics. So you can look at all the beers that we try and the the reviews for all of them. So have fun with that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Speed round. Yeah. Yay. All right. So on Tuesday, we witnessed a remarkable TV clash between President Trump and top House and Senate Democrats who met in the Oval Office to talk about the budget and border wall. Trump once again threatened to, Tuesday to shut down the government over his demands for a multi-billion dollar border wall. Trump traded taunts and threats with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi. At one point, Trump accepted ownership, telling Democrats he would be proud to shut down the government over border security. As a smiling Chuck Schumer watched, a red-faced Trump angrily stated, quote, I'll tell you what, I'm proud to shut down the government for border security. Chuck, so I'll take the mantle. I will be the one to shut it down. I'm not going to blame you for it. Um, Suzanne, once again, (laughs) stunning political theater. What do we know about the politics of government shutdowns and whether Trump is likely to win or lose on this particular gamble? Well, I mean... The, oh, I will just, I have to start with the first thing I thought of is for any listeners who are West Wing fans, yeah. uh, and I don't That's know if two thing. of them are sitting here mm-hmm. at all. Well, I don't think, Bill, you really watch it, but anyway. The no. point of my story is there is an episode called Shutdown where President Bartlett looks at the Speaker of the House and says, then shut it down. <laughs> duh, duh, duh. That's all I could think about is where the President <laughs> looks at the leadership from the other parties in the chambers and says, I'll do it. I'll absolutely shut down the government and I'll take on that responsibility. And it worked well for the fictitious president in the West Wing. I don't think it's going to work as well for this president, particularly. Um, one of the things I had said to the guys when we, before we went on was that um, I think Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, particularly Nancy Pelosi, played this incredibly well. So if you listen to or watch the clip where she's talking to him and she kind of under her breath says, the Trump shutdown. And he hears his name, of course. So yeah. he's like, oh, what? What did you say? And she's like, the Trump shutdown. He's like, oh, yes, absolutely. I'll take ownership. Love it. <laughs> yes. And that was so beautiful because what she was able to do, and she said this later as she was leaving the White House when the gaggle was following her, is I, we got him to take ownership and say that if it happens, it's his fault and his responsibility. And that's really, really smart strategy, right? So you look at it strategically, I think that the leadership played it really, really well. And if anyone's going to get blamed, if the government does shut down, I think it is absolutely going to be the president because the the, the Republicans, are the, the uh, congressional Republicans are not going to take ownership of it. They're, I mean, maybe the ones leaving who've lost their seats can be like, yes, we support the president. That's how we end up losing our seats. But they're not going to sort of jump on board with this. The only thing here that I think is not surprising but throws a wrench in it is if you look at some of the most recent polling that happened actually just came out today where it says it was a um, like an NPR PBS poll. I don't know. Nick's nodding. Did you see this today? I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me pull it up so I give the yeah. correct numbers so I can fact check myself. Uh, that And the good thing about the polls, it breaks down by party, right? Because this is really important. So um thousand adults were surveyed this happened the last week of of uh, november so overall 57 percent think th- thinks that the president should uh compromise and 36 percent think that he should stand firm so you're like that's a 21 point margin people really want him to compromise well uh, maybe i'll ask the two of you what do you think that looks like when you break it down by party i don't know it's really it's kind of difficult I to know, think how about could you, how could you figure that one out I think compromise goes away <laughs> I think compromise goes away. 60 what is it i have to zoom in 65 percent of republicans think that he should stand firm mm-hmm. he's this is we've talked about this every time we talk about yeah. the president yep. he is talking to his base correct he's taking ownership and claiming the mantle to use his word of the shutdown because he knows it speaks to the people that are going to vote for him in a primary coming up in a year and a half from now yep 
Yeah. No consequence for what happens to like the government workers that wouldn't get paid, Meh. the people that don't get their social security checks. None of the actual consequences of like governing. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really matter to them, right? In some ways, for both sides, I don't think they're that all that concerned. I mean, I guess they are, <coughs> but this would be likely a short. Oh, I mean, right. it was it, the last one that happened yeah. into the beginning of 2018 didn't even really count as yeah. one because it happened over a weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's yeah. the optics of all of this, and there's the reality. I, I think you're you're spot on here. I I, I, t- I think Trump's going to cave on this one. Well, because he doesn't. For me, this is the way I look at it: is that he doesn't really care whether he gets the wall. Right. He wants to fight about the wall, yeah. and he wants to get it on TV, which is why the cameras were there. And even though Nick doesn't necessarily agree with me, Pelosi says she didn't know that the cameras were going to be there. I don't agree with that <laughs> at all. And keeps saying during the interaction, you know, can, can we do this without the cameras? Can we do it without the cameras? So whether it's true or not, it played well. It's not. Okay, fair <laughs> point. Um, but he doesn't really want the wall. Yeah. He wants to fight publicly with the Democrats about the wall so that people think he's still fighting against the people that they hate. This was another issue where both sides got exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So Trump got to mm-hmm. appeal to his base. Yep. Schumer, before we went started taping, Schumer, we were talking about Schumer, kept looking at the camera. Right. He's not even looking at the Trump. <laughs> yeah. He's just like looking and smiling like, look at this guy, what he said. I mean, that was great. Uh, the best part of all of it was is Pence. You know, just this statue oh. in, poor, poor Buster in a Zen mode where he's like, you know, does daddy say I can talk now? I mean, it was really, it was bizarre. Did <laughs> pull my string yet? Yeah. It, you know, there was an account in the, I think it was the Washington Post this morning, that where they were saying Trump was livid. Yeah. That Pence didn't intervene mm-hmm. and defend him. Yep. But there's no way Pence can say anything that helps this at all. Not at all. you got to let Trump do what Especially he wants to do. Especially because he might be the right. president soon, so. That's right. <laughs> yes. No, I, I mean, th- nothing was going to come out of this. They all knew what was going to happen going in there it was political theater yeah like i i there's no way that those two people two out of the three biggest grandstanders in federal government at this point (laughs) did not know that there was going to be televised coverage of this there's just no way it's I, i it was both of them or both sides speaking to their base at that point and it 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 we need we need to get out of this cycle. The fact that we're paying this much attention to this at all is is detrimental to the process of actually getting things done. I, 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 I mm. but don't you think that even threatening to withhold the oh, that's not the right word. Don't you think that even threatening to shut down the government because you don't get what you want, so you're taking your ball and going home is a problem? No, he's taking it. He's standing for what's right. It, who is it a problem for? Yeah. Like us? Oh, I'm screaming in the mic again. <laughs> so again, this is where we we disentangle the political science from the, the citizen, right? I try to do this in my classes all the time. Is that yeah, as a political scientist, this is fascinating theater to watch, and we can say like, okay, who's going to come out on the winning end of this? But as a citizen, this is I think it's very problematic for the grandstanders to hold hostage goods and services to the American people to prove a point. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So it is a problem. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, for, <laughs> yes, <laughs> from a yes, from a broader standpoint yes. like that. Yes. But when you're talking about average citizens on both sides of the aisle yeah. at that point, they don't give a shit until they don't get what they need. Right. But right? realistically, most of the people who are a part of that poll, who are agreeing with one side or the other, they don't care about you know government employees yeah. or them getting get paid or yeah whether they get their mail right. or anything like that. It's my side is sticking You're to right. their ground. You're right. And that's all I care about right. at this point. That's a really big problem. It, that is a big problem. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I agree with you. And we got to move on. One of the things that struck me about the visual of the three of them sitting on the couch is how old all three of them are. 
Wait, four, including Pence, or including Pence in that? No, no, because Pence was sort of just, you know, he was, he was, he was on, an accessory. On the wall, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, I mean, how. I, I, so Trump is. 71? 72? Yeah. And Schumer's got to be close to that, right? 257. <laughs> yes. Pelosi is in her almost her 80s, I think. So all three of them, and you could see them when they're sitting on the couch. You can see, you sort of get a different sense of them when they're standing, then when they're standing behind a podium. All three of them looked really old. Well, because Schumer was like. Yeah, Schumer looked uh, like he was about to fall over. If you could see me right over. now. Yeah. yeah. Like, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, but, and the other thing that is, I'm looking at this saying, like, these are the people that are guiding our government right now. And, and again, we shouldn't, I shouldn't attack age, but it felt like yes. there, there are. <laughs> are you the ageist? Yes, yes. I am. <laughs> right? I, mean, I, I think that yeah. there should be younger people at the table. It shouldn't just be everybody who's over 70 making decisions about a country that they're not going to be around to govern. I, I just You're not it, wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not even, realistically, age isn't necessarily the thing. It's the just entrenched loyalties that they have and their kind of history with the institution, which in some ways is a benefit for their individual parties and, you know, their level of experience. But at some point, it's a detriment to accomplishing new things. And I, I do think it needs, needs to be new blood. I don't really give a shit what age that they are. But at some it's point, the them. old guard just needs to leave because yeah. you're holding the process up at this point. But that, that is a difficult balance to strike because yeah. there's a reason why Nancy Pelosi is going to still become the Speaker of the House come January. Even she kneecapped her opponents. <laughs> she Jeff Galulied them? Yes. Is that what you're telling me? Mm-hmm. Uh, because she is incredibly good yes. at that job, yes. right? And so I, I had even said to students before this, like, a good thing for the Democrats would be to not put her in again because they need someone fresh, whether age, whatever it is. They need someone that's not her mm-hmm. because of what she carries with her. God damn it, there's no she's one good. better yeah. at it than her. Yeah, I'm not saying she's not good at it. I know, but I think that's but that's sort of the small point of the larger, which is when someone comes in fresh and they don't have the experience and they don't know how to maneuver, for lack of a better term, then nothing gets done. Right. So when they've been there long and they know how to maneuver, even if you don't like what they get done, at least they're getting stuff done. I don't agree. Okay, that's fair. No, that's a fair point. You you shove a second-term congressperson in that room and tell me that they're not going to do it the same way and get the same result. Yes. I mean, there really was no result in that. Like we said, nothing good came out of that meeting, realistically, besides the fact that you think your side won. That was it. But isn't that enough for them? That's enough for them. For them, that's For them. But if we're talking about the institutions and the health of a you know functioning democracy no that's not good at that point Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be able to have the experience and length of tenure to the point where you are that good at maneuvering this is these are these are positions that should just not be held for that long in my opinion Beto 2020. All right. Moving on. All right. So breaking news. Uh, Trump has just announced that Gary Busey will be his next White House chief of staff. I can't wait to see his hair. (laughs) I know. Not really. But Trump has struggled (laughs) to find anyone interested in the job after John Kelly announced his departure. Trump has said he's in no rush and that many, over 10, are vying for and wanting the, the White House chief of staff position. Trump was caught off guard after his top candidate for the position, Nick Ayers, Vice President Mike Pence, Chief of Staff, declined the job. He apparently wanted to spend more time in Georgia. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he wanted to get home. God bless. Spend time with his family. Uh, yeah. not, not go to jail. Yeah. Um, 
So, sorry, Suzette, how important is the chief of staff position and why might candidates be so reluctant to take this traditionally most coveted and powerful role? This is one of the most important and powerful and influential positions in all of the government, right? It's, I mean, take out the fact that it's a non-elected, non-appointed position, right, which people have had trouble with over time, that the president's kitchen cabinet, right, the people he rely on the most, relies on the most are not elected or or confirmed, I should say. that this is a person that decides what comes in and out of that Oval Office, decides what information the president gets, what comes out from the president, or at least tries to, um, who gets in, who gets out, who has access, and who doesn't. I mean, this is, when we talk about the word gatekeeper, this is the epitome of a gatekeeper. And that is an incredibly important job, right? I mean, we know that the previous chiefs of staff have controlled, you know, what information the president got, the way it was presented to him in order for him to be able to understand it and so forth. Um, that isn't typical, I guess. Like putting things in charts and graphs and not in, you know, prose form is not typical for chiefs of staff for, for most presidents. That's right. Yes. Sort of the coloring sheets at the, the restaurant. Um, I think what we've seen with this president is that he has no interest in having a gatekeeper. And so the the traditional role of the chief of staff, which is actually supposed to make the president's life easier and manage the West Wing and the executive staff. The president has no interest in that because he's going to do whatever the fuck he wants. And so anyone who has tried to rein him in, we've seen, has had zero luck. And so they're like, well, this isn't really what I signed up for. So who would want to do that now? Do you put this on Kelly? So it, it made, when he announces he was leaving, it made me think of Bill Clinton when he first came in. And there was chaos. And, and then they, the Clinton administration brought in Leon Panetta, right? Yep. And he organized them. And there's a lot of stories like that where presidents are disorganized. You bring in a good chief of staff everything gets better mm-hmm. do you ba- blame john kelly for no. this no so because it's trump is it's, ungovernable i don't think it's disorganization yeah. right there's i don't know how being the president works mm-hmm. it's not that i don't know how to like be a functioning human or know what the constitution says which i think is where our president is now it's i just never been president so someone who's been here walk me through it right we saw that with obama too when he brought Rahm Emanuel in whether you like him or not he got that tight, that ship running tight, right? Mm-hmm. And it was very necessary, especially for someone who was so young and so amateur at that point. I really think it is Trump specific. It's that he has, he can't be managed. He's not going to be organized. He's no interest in having someone who would fulfill the traditional role of a chief of staff. I don't put it on Kelly. I don't think anyone can rein this guy in. I really don't. Nick, would you take the job? Yeah, they actually contacted me earlier today <laughs> about it. I've already podcast. accepted. Yes. Is this going to be your last episode? Yeah, yeah. sorry, guys. You're all going to be in the back of a, a van before the end of the night. Probably. Especially me. Um, yeah, I, 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 he, I think he just thinks that he is, Trump thinks that he is his best spokesperson and is by far the best manager, way, a way better manager than anybody could be, even, you know, Generals and you know, political elites and, right. just, and lawyers and lawyers, <laughs> yes. you know, people who know things. Um, yeah, it's. I I can't imagine that there is a sane person left in that town that would take that position at this mm-hmm. point, and that's going to be. I think that's really gonna, again, using one of my favorite terms, wrankle his ass yeah. over the next few weeks. Because um, nobody wants to do it. Because nobody wants to do it, and I I think that's going to drive him crazy. Mm-hmm. 
there if I if I was asked, there'd be two things I think about. One is the legal troubles oh, we started yeah. the show with, right? All of those, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to take this position and say, okay, now I have to hire a lawyer. I mean, that's the reality that whoever comes in as chief of staff will likely have yes. to hire counsel. Mm-hmm. That's very very expensive. Then the other thing—that's the concern. The expense. Well, I mean, you were talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not everybody is app. I mean. You know, I think that would weigh on their mind a little bit. <laughs> Not that they would need a lawyer to get a job in the White House. Well, and going to jail. Like yeah, those things. That. You know, they're worried about all those. Anyway, but then the other the second I, thing. You know, we didn't talk about this. This was the week. Yeah, since we last taped, this uh, Trump has gone after Rex Tillerson. Tillerson oh, right? yeah, called lazy. Yeah, lazy, dumb as dumb as a box of rocks. Yeah. Um, so the other Hot thing kettle. Th- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes, right. <laughs> so the other sleepy. thing you're thinking about is very few people have left this administration without being trashed by the president. Right. Now Kelly may be one of him. One of them. He may get out unscathed. But he may not, right? Most everybody gets thrown under the bus by mm-hmm. Trump because he wants to make them look bad and him look good. Mm-hmm. That's got to weigh on some of these people thinking about this position. Of course. What's the value? You know, there's there's no money afterwards because these individuals that are leaving the administration aren't getting paid. There's potential legal <laughs> trouble, mm-hmm. and you get trashed on Twitter. It's, right. just, it's a, it's a lose, 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 lose. Yeah. I mean, who... I, I haven't heard any actual names. Uh, so Matt Whitaker was one that I yeah. heard. Um, Mark Meadows, who then have to resign from Congress. Right. But other than and and they both kind of like, well, I don't think Whitaker was interviewed, but Meadows was like, oh, I'm flattered to be cons-. But neither one of them are going to take that job. Meadows in particular isn't going to take that job. He needs to stay in Congress. So I've, have any of you heard any other no. names floating around? No. The big list is those who said, no, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> right. right. Got good work going on here. I'm too busy. That's, that's telling because this is a position people want. Mm-hmm. Usually. Yeah. Mm. Well, good luck, Nick. It'll be- Thanks. Good luck, Gary Busey. <laughs> oh. Yes. All right, next topic. No Brexit for you. Uh, (laughs) Seinfeld reference. Seinfeld, obviously. All right, so it's been a blockbuster week in British politics. Just today, Britain's beleaguered Prime Minister Theresa May faced a no-confidence vote, and she survived, right? Uh, From her own Conservative Party, barely survived. Lawmakers are upset with her handling of Britain's withdrawal from the European Union. Hardline Brexit supporters uh, within her party believe she was not making a complete enough break with the European Union. Over the last week, May has suffered multiple embarrassing setbacks in Parliament. Uh, she had to pull a vote over the Brexit deal she negotiated with the European Union. It's so crazy that during a session of Parliament this week, a member of Parliament grabbed and tried to walk out of the House of Commons with a ceremonial mace. And if you haven't seen this video, stop the pa- podcast and go, not you oh. and go go watch it. Um, I'll do it after. This also made for brilliant TV watching. Nick, UK politics are out of control. What's going on? You're an international guy. You find this all this stuff really interesting. Yeah, it's insane. Um, So my understanding with the ceremonial macing, just to do a little bit of a deep cut, is if someone takes it and leaves with it, they're not allowed to pass any laws. Oh, really? Right. It's everything stops. Right. What kind of dumb? St- what, what is that? That's like in, that's like here where state legislators like hide in bathrooms. So there's no quorum, so they don't have so they don't vote. This seriously happened. Yeah. Except it's of course it's Britain, so it's more With elegant. The, right. The, the, it's the, a 16th century gold mace. Are you out of your fucking minds? <laughs> this is good, Nick, though, because this was granted from from the king and queen. Right. I mean, this is so this is the monarchy bestowing par- power on the parliament. <laughs> and the best part about this is when this guy picks it up and starts walking out with it. Yeah. 
all the other MPs do is like, shame, shame. <laughs> they lost their minds. Yes. They're like, oh, my God. <laughs> but they don't do anything. <laughs> the worst British actor I've right. ever <laughs> <laughs> And they just sort of stop, like, stop, no. And, nobody, and then it was this older woman who just says, like, give me the mace. And she takes she it grabbed it back and for brings it back. <laughs> and then they very, again, in a British way, very politely tell him, like, you have to leave. You can come back tomorrow, but you, you are, <laughs> according to the rules, you have to leave for the rest of the session. It was, they were, oh. That's brilliant. Well, I, I mean, it's. I, I was listening to coverage of this this morning, and uh, I forgot who it was specifically. It was on NPR. They were saying, you know, prior to 2016, uh, British politics were fairly easy to predict, and since then, everything is up for grabs at this point. I don't think anyone necessarily knew what they were getting into with Brexit. I don't think that the thought itself is. Um, not, uh, it's it's not as negative as people make it out to be if there was a plan behind it. The fact that there was enough vitriol to just let it go without some sort of understood procedure is a little disconcerting. Mm-hmm. However, you have Theresa May putting together a plan which is extraordinarily unpopular uh, in Britain and outside of Britain. Realistically, the EU is doing it just to avoid a, a huge headache on their part. Mm-hmm. But then you have enough of... Uh, the British citizenry that are out in the streets of London saying we want our country back. You know, I think the number was like 350,000 or something like that. Um, And they're being painted as, you know, white supremacists and nationalists. And it's this whole, it's this weird powder keg and confluence of ideas that we haven't seen in Europe for the better part of 60 years at this point, which is very, yeah. Europe is, uh, no, you know, go off the deep end every so often. But well, um, May's in this awkward position where you're absolutely right. There is a hardline group saying, cut off from the EU. We want hard borders. You know, we don't want that relationship anymore. And then there's another contingent in Britain that wants a soft Brexit, that, right. would, that wish Brexit had never happened. And so there's no way you're going to placate both groups. Mm-hmm. And I think the European Union is in a, is in a much better position here because they can say, "Here's the deal, Theresa May, take it or leave it," mm-hmm. and she's got to come back and try to figure out what happens. And if nothing happens on March 29, it's an official hard right. break. That's There's it. no deal. It is as if the UK is an entirely sovereign country, completely separate from mm-hmm. from the European Union, and that is a terrible, terrible outcome. I, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the EU is not as in a, in a uh, a strong of a wow! I can't talk. I know their what you position, meant. yeah, you know, <laughs> a little mini stroke on my part. Um, their position is not as strong as I think a lot of people believe it to be. I think they're wholly dependent on the UK from an economic standpoint and to some degree um, a, an immigration standpoint, especially when you're talking about the influx of immigrants that they've seen over the past five years. Uh, the UK is a, a, a huge uh, endpoint for a lot of those people. Um, I think it would be extraordinarily detrimental for them to have to think about, you know, currency exchanges mm-hmm. and um, uh, border difficulties and um, especially in Northern Ireland, Northern oh, Ireland, yeah. Yeah. border. Oh. oh my gosh! But then the EU has to think about realistically. The only strong component that they have at this point is Germany, mm-hmm. and then that isn't necessarily a viable economic or political 
block anymore, in not, my opinion. D- don't forget France. Well, are we that's in get flames there at the moment. <laughs> yes. We'll get back to that. But that's the thing about Germany. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's one of the things I was thinking about is that we we've seen you know the the types of far right parties that have gotten you know seats in the the legislative body in uh-huh. Germany. We know that Angela Merkel is going to be leaving, and so to your point, if Germany's all they have left, but like really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it serves the EU's purpose to try to figure out a way to. Well, they don't. They can't figure out a way to keep the to keep the UK in. But what kind of terms yeah. could they try to negotiate? Because May is in a position of weakness to make it as what you're as soft as possible. Mm-hmm. To go back to something earlier, you said Nick, like British politics have always been predictable and cautious, mm-hmm. and now it seems irrational and in some ways stupid, right? I mean, that's the thing. Because if, if they get to the hard Brexit of March 29th and don't have an agreement, that's stupid, right? You should very have something. And I, I get the idea of autonomy and maybe wanting to take back some control over borders and your economy and all of that. I, I, I don't agree with it, but I understand that position. But just sort of saying, we're going to be idiots and steal maces until March 29th. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not good for anybody. No, it's terrible. Yeah. Oh. European <laughs> politics is so much fun. But now fun. i got to go watch the video. It oh, is really I good. I need to watch the video. It, oh. I was too busy watching Chuck and Nancy. <laughs> yes. Watching right. Parliament is so much fun. It, it really I need to is. Watch it. Mm-hmm. I do. It is. Oh, yes. More fun than C-SPAN. Staying in Europe, uh, the, uh, the UK's close neighbor, France, has also been struggling with its own form of crazy, as France has enjoyed a month of turmoil in which <laughs> a movement known as the Yellow Vest have held massive protests across France. The movement, which began as a revolt against fuel taxes, has morphed into an angry rebuke of Mr. Macron, the president, and his government's failure to focus on what is uh, what his critics call France's forgotten middle class. Uh, Faced with violent protests and calls for his recognition, uh, President Macron of France said on Monday that he had heard the anger and many understood their and he understood their suffering. He announced tax cuts and income increases for the struggling middle class and working poor. Uh, and vowing to raise the pay of workers earning minimum wage. It's not clear this is going to work, and the yellow vests still seem pretty darn angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I can think of a recent time when there's been this much simultaneous turmoil across Europe, and especially when you think about the three long, well-established democracies of the United States, Britain, and France. Nick and Suzanne, please <laughs> tell me things are going to be okay. <laughs> No. No? <laughs> Suzanne? No. Well, so... I don't want to hear from Nick. No, I... I, I remember having a conversation, particularly, Bill, with you after Macron won when yeah. the pen lost. And we were like, oh, thank God. We're so relieved, yes. right? And it seems that the people that maybe didn't want Le Pen to win now would be reconsidering if they want someone like Le Pen to, to, would, yes. to serve as their leader, right? And so... Macron is kind of in this no-win situation where he thought he came in in a time where this is what the country wanted. And now, very quickly, it's turned and turned pretty aggressively. And this rhetoric, he says he's going to you know, lower tax cuts and increase wages. Like, that doesn't just magically occur. So the rhetoric is supposed to help, but they see right through that. Mm-hmm. And so do we have a situation now where we're going to see Le Pen or someone like her have a better chance to then take control because this is what the country is saying that they want, which again is like screams 2016 in so many ways for the United States. Um, so that's that's my initial because yeah. of course I have to bring it back to America. You know, that's no, my initial that, take. That's a really good take. Yeah, mm-hmm. Nick. Um, he's an ass. Macron. Yeah, he's an ass. He he's is. So dreamy. He, oh God, uh, he's, he's he's not Justin Trudeau yes. dreamy. That's fair. Okay, fair thank point. you. Yeah, All right, back to Nick. the Number teacher, two. the drama teacher. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he he is. 
he's an elitist. He's aloof. He does not. I was going to say aloof. Yeah. Hey, we're in the same place. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, he just, he doesn't understand the people that are, that are part of this protest, which is the majority of French citizens at this point. It's, Wait, you're describing Hillary Clinton or huh? Emmanuel Macron? What? <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were describing Hillary Clinton or Emmanuel Macron. Oh, I don't know. They can, they're kind of this interchangeable is what I'm at that point. Yeah. This is my point. <laughs> Continue. Um, now, it, it's uh, the 2016, the, the time around 2016, and whether you're talking about Britain or France or the United States, was such a, a weird, just conflux of events and, you know, nationalistic. Um, Dissent and just anger over globalization. Mm -hmm. And I think there were a lot of rash decisions made. I think this was probably, when you're talking about France, rash decisions have extraordinarily rash consequences. <laughs> and I think this is only going to get worse from here. They're not good about kind of tamping down their rhetoric and, and they love a good protest mm -hmm. that will go on for weeks or months at a time. Um, I... I, this worries me a lot. Um, I don't necessarily think that this particular protest is moving in a in a more nationalistic way, uh, a more right leaning way. But I think it opens the door for the possibility of that rhetoric to have more of an influence. Um, so is it more populist but less nationalist? I would probably yeah 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 I'd probably say that yeah. yeah. So more um, Bernie Sanders. No, Unless no, Trump. Shit. Well, I think all of those voices are there, right? <laughs> I, I mean, there are those nationalist voices, but you are right, Suzanne, that there are more populist voices, those that are frustrated mm -hmm. with the policy, middle class that feel like they've been left behind. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm torn because France has this his, recent history of just turning on their presidents, mm -hmm. you know, electing them, being very excited, and then quickly turning on them. And, and Nick, you are right that Macron is aloof. He's a bit elitist, and I tend to agree with his policies. Like, I think his sense of being connected through the EU, his embrace of globalism, all those things are, are a good thing, but he just cannot connect. He needs right. a, a bit more Joe Biden in him. Um, <laughs> Doesn't everyone. Right. <laughs> but, the, but the effect of that, is it's going to it's going to cause all this angst and frustration, and then what's going to happen? I, I He's going to stick around. He's not going to leave. I mean, some of the protesters are causing, calling for him to leave office. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But for the next presidential election, I mean, he's all, his, his polling is already just plummeting. Right. And he's got years left. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm worried what's going to happen in France. I, you've got chaos, potential chaos in the United Kingdom. France, uh, Suzanne, as you mentioned, uh, eventually Germany's got to replace Angela Merkel. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot of instability in in, in stable Europe. I, I mean, do you think it's? I feel like you said this is kind of a has been a trend um, with the past several uh, French presidents. Yeah. I guess Hollande. I think he ended at like four percent approval. Right? Uh, is that real? Yeah. yeah. They called They're him very flammy. unhappy. Yes. I remember that, but yes. I didn't know it was four <laughs> percent. Yes, God. it was terrible. Four or six, but it doesn't matter. Oh no, I mean it was single, single digits. Digit right. right. But I mean, oh, realistically, God. this whatever the issue is in France specifically, this happened way before 2016 or any of that. You know, the the primary issues that we're dealing with today is it the makeup of their of the French people? Is it the way that they govern themselves? Is it the leadership and that kind of elitist culture? I mean, from my standpoint, it looks to be getting worse and worse as time goes on. And I'm wondering if it's 
if any person at this point would be able to come in there and help to alleviate the problem. I, I'm not sure if there is, right? I mean, you think about all of the change that globalization, immigration, all of the change that Europe and the United States is experiencing. I don't know if there is a, a, a one kind of candidate that can come in and speak to all of those audiences mm -hmm. at once. It's, mm -hmm. it's a very difficult job. Macron is doing a, a, a pretty bad job. I think Theresa May is trying the best she can, but that's also an untenable position. Mm -hmm. You know, Trump, he's cool. Um, yeah. He's not going to jail or anything. Yeah. So no, he's all right. Yeah. We're fine. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we'll come back to this in the future because we have to end on a great topic. So, <laughs> all right. It turns out popular smartphone apps like the Weatherbug, Weather Channel, Gas Buddy are tracking users' locations with extreme detail collecting specific street addresses and extensive trip profiles, according to an investigation by the New York Times. The Times reviewed data from more than a million smartphones and found extensive data collection practices by a whole host of apps. The data are often sent or sold by to advertisers and retailers. The information is supposed to be anonymous, but it's detailed enough to easily link to a user through homeowner records or employments. You can literally follow the dots as where they go. Uh, this is both fascinating and terrifying to me, Nick. Uh, the data literally allows you, okay, as I said, follow you at location throughout the day. Uh, we always think about Big Brother as a government entity, but this is the free market at its best, Nick. Uh -huh. um, you're our tech genius in this podcast. Uh, should, how troubled or not troubled should we be by what's going on? Well, I mean, it depends. We're the idiots that are doing this to ourselves yes. at this point. Big yes. Brother isn't a grand institution or, you know, the government at large. It's us. We've done this to ourselves at this point. You don't need Weatherbug. You don't need you don't need half of this shit. I like Weatherbug. It is I've really convenient. It's on my app I watch. <laughs> I've never heard of Weatherbug. Oh, it's a good I'm one. a weather weather channel gal yeah they're tracking you too i'm yeah. sure <laughs> this is all i could think about when i read that this oh, crap. Yeah. I, I mean realistically this is the issue that i have with all of this we we download these things we create these products we sign up for them and we don't ever think of the consequences you can talk about you know the legalese that comes with all these apps itunes you know using amazon things like that but we we have gotten to the point where we just don't care because it's so convenient for us that it outweighs any sort of issue that we have. Either that or we're so naive that we don't think about the consequences. And I think we're starting to see a backlash against that with Facebook and Google and all of these companies that are getting pulled before Congress at this point. And I think it's a really, really good thing. You were you there's you may have covered yourself legally from the standpoint of putting a 90 page document in front of someone and saying you know hit okay to confirm and nobody reads it that's that's not okay but we have to understand that we can't keep doing this to ourselves and there needs to be a point where we just stop using this type of data collecting just nonsense what you just said Dick, remind me this was the week where the, was it the the CEO of Google was pulled in front of Congress mm -hmm. and I can't remember who it was somebody from the house was going on and on about how his iPhone was doing all of this and and the CEO I can't call my grandson <laughs> he was angry about something that had happened with the iPhone and this the CEO of, of Google had to very delicately and politely say Sir, that's that's not our phone. <laughs> you know, so yeah, but like, you're in there. That was when Mark Zuckerberg was in front of yes. Congress, and the, the guy clear, the whoever the, the congressman yeah. was clearly did not understand right. the internet right. as a thing, but like Facebook. It's, more it's tubes. It's a series of tubes. Yes. So I just today, 
when I was reading the Washington Post, you know, and the ads come up and it's an ad for a pair of boots that I was looking at for my daughter yesterday. And that happens all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, we get it. You see my history, fine. I've sort of come to peace with that. And sometimes it's actually kind of helpful to know that the Weather Channel, when I go on my Weather Channel app, wherever I'm at, and now it can figure out, okay, where are you? How long have you been there? Where'd you go next? How far away from your house are you? So how long would it take you to get there? That's a whole next level of, like, why do they need all that information? Especially, and, and the other thing is, it's not just the Weather Channel, but the Weather Channel is selling your right. location yes. to others who may have nefarious purposes, right? right? That's right. the thing. So it's even if you say, oh, I trust the Weather app. <laughs> Maybe know, I shouldn't. Right. Somebody else may not be. They were talking about, so the authors of this piece did a, a podcast on The Daily where they talked about that you could follow somebody who went to a, actually, they looked at data at a, a, a nuclear facility. And they could see all of the dots that were there. Right. And then you could follow those dots home. Mm-hmm. I mean, so think about it. If you're Russia, you're somebody that you want to blackmail somebody. You know that they work in a nuclear power right. plant. You, you can go find this data, follow people. I mean, not just for national security reasons, but all, a whole host of reasons. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen evidence of that for military installations. Yes. They had yeah. Fitbits, and they could track yeah. people as they ran. Yeah. Like, it's... Regardless, they don't need the... I, I don't think they're using the information for, you know, any really nefarious purposes like that but you don't have the infrastructure clearly to uh vet the people that you're selling this to or understand who could uh, potentially gain access to it your security is not foolproof at this point so yeah there needs to be regulation put in place there needs to be harsher consequences put in place some of these companies just need to be broken up at this point they're just not they're not trustworthy their only concern is gaining more users and being able to sell data. And make money that yeah. way. Because that's how they're making the money, right. selling the data. Mm-hmm. I feel like with cyber, whether we're talking about <clears throat> locations or cyber war, that we don't even really know what we don't know yet, right? Oh, I mean, the, for sure. the danger is so severe, but we don't completely understand how people and, and countries can use this information. Mm-hmm. Ten years from now, this is going to be an entirely different conversation, mm-hmm. and we're just at the cutting edge of this, whether it's you're talking about personal use mm-hmm. or states using this as a, as a weapon of war. I'm getting off, man. I'm just going to go find a plot of land, like Wyoming, get a gun, just sit there. I don't just I wait for me to go. not <laughs> see you with a gun. <laughs> Did you know what the rich... either, but sorry, it's got to be done. <laughs> what the rich people are doing is they're buying these old nuclear ICBM silos, right? That. And they're they're buying, and then you can go down, right? Mm-hmm. Who the fuck are these people? The rich, I'm sorry. the rich, the rich. <laughs> really? And the rich people realize that can things are going to get out of control, cherry? so they're they're protecting themselves. Smart. This is a good way to end it. It's very good I'm so depressed right now. It's so depressed. Well, this was fun. Thanks, Suzanne. This was good. Thanks for having me, guys. I always love coming. Um, Do you want to do Sure. Did you do a little promo? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if you enjoy the podcast and you're still listening, you should follow us on Facebook. (laughs) The big thing is tell your friends. We're really trying to grow the podcast. So go on Facebook, go on the Twitter, go on all the other things. Go on the the tubes. Go Go on the tubes. And and, uh, share our information. Uh, Use your jitterbug to call your grandson. Exactly. With like the 75 font. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Dial five. We're all over the social media. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Let me say uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, um, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms, um, Untapped, iOS and Android for our beer reviews and everything that we try. We're Barstool Politics. Uh, Predictive. 
Real Money Political Prediction Market, uh, Stock Market for Politics, where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, uh, Barstool Politics listeners, if you open up a new account, you will receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, they will match that $20. Um, definitely check it out. That's $40 to use on Predict It. Um, super fun. Use the uh, promo link, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20. Um, yeah, have fun with that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I wonder what it says about Brexit. I don't know. I got to check, oh, check that. What that, that, that looks today. like. Uh, I should have put some money in that. I did. Not I, too late. Mm-hmm. I put a. I put some money in Teresa May yeah. sticking around as PM. Uh, yeah. And then I sold it before all this stuff hit the fan. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Made us a little cash, Nick. <laughs> cash money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, thanks again, Suzanne. Thanks it was so like much having for having you. me. Appreciate it a lot. Anything else, Bill? Get well, Phil. Yes. Aww. We miss you, Phil. Come back soon. I don't, the screen is empty. Yeah. It's so sad. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> All right. We will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.